The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, the second half of our Casey Means interview. Oh yeah, we're getting into wearable devices and continuous glucose monitoring. It's like biofeedback for your sugars. Wow. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Biofeedback for your sugar. That's huh? right. That's, That's a right. Good one, Michael. Thanks. I'm like a slogan generator. You're really good at it. Thank you. Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. Hello, Patty Devers. How are you? I'm doing great today. Thank you. I hope you all are too. And welcome yes. to the Lab Report. Welcome everyone to this podcast. Sincerely. Aww. Where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty mm-hmm. lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and it's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. All of those things. Yeah. And if you'd like to, you can subscribe to our podcast if you'd at like iTunes, to. Spotify. Maybe leave us some feedback, some stars. Yes. Leave a review. If you'd like to. Or because we're telling you to. Wow. Bossy <laughs> or, pants. Well, I'm giving an option. I'm saying or if they <laughs> like to. nice I mean, of you. Just saying. <laughs> And if you have feedback, right. like maybe on what I just said, then you can <laughs> write that feedback. You can type it to podcast at gdx.net, and hmm. we will uh, we'll look through it. We'll examine it. Maybe get back to you. No, we'll probably we'll get always back get you. back. We yeah. always get back. We do yeah. That. yeah. Well, I'm excited because today is part two of our interview with Dr. Casey Means. Truth. Right. And if you remember from last episode, she's kind of like amazing really smart like she was a surgeon a functional medicine doc a biomedical researcher and now she's chief medical officer of levels yeah she's definitely what you would consider a professional smarty pants that's right and uh we love having these types of individuals on the program because you're going to get so much insight so much knowledge and uh yeah we just love it and this is a great second half of the interview you're not going to want to miss it so i think without further ado without any more of us blathering oh yeah let's just get to it let's just finish the interview go for it Switching gears a little bit and kind of getting into what you were just talking about with the continuous glucose monitoring. I mean, wearable devices are are rapidly evolving and emerging as kind of their own place in optimizing health. And so you're the co-founder of the company Levels. How did you get involved with the tech side of healthcare? Yeah, yeah. So that was actually, this is kind of the continuation of the story of my move from surgery to functional medicine. So I had left surgery, I'd started my longevity, metabolic health focused, um, functional medicine practice. And what I realized kind of early on in my practice was, well, first of all, it was, it was so exciting because I was spending two hours with each patient for the initial visits and doing tons of advanced lab testing, really getting to know people's life's lives, uh, history, lifestyles, full picture of their sort of, um, health blueprint. And create these plans for them that were very comprehensive. And many people just had incredible outcomes in just a few months and things I'd never see progress. I'd never seen in, in my, you know, conventional practice. And it was because we really were understanding each other and there was so much communication and buy-in and, and there was just 
I think when you when you are able to cross that chasm and really understand the patient to understand the doctor and the doctor to understand the patient, you know, so much transformational activity can happen. Um, and so that was very exciting. But what I realized was that for people to improve, fundamentally, they were having to change their behavior. They were having to change the, the daily activities in their life that they do, you know, all the thousands of micro decisions we make every day to ultimately create conditions in their bodies that would generate health. And mm -hmm. so what I mean by that is that as we're walking around every day, we're making decisions about how we move, how active to be, how we're going to respond to stressful events in our life, when we're going to sleep and how we're going to sleep, and then what we're going to eat. Not only what we're going to eat, but when we're going to eat it, what we're going to pair it with, what we're going to do before and after meals. So I think the four main things are sleep, stress, exercise, and food. And between those four things, we make so many decisions every day. And the patients who did well were the patients who took my thoughts and my advice to heart and made meaningful changes in those aspects of their lives. And you just saw that the their health just transform. And so it became clear to me that fundamentally behavior change is required sure. for people to have meaningful, sustainable improvements in their health because yeah. behaviors translate to molecular conditions in the body through hormones, through our nervous systems, through micronutrients. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, this is interesting because I am having a lot of patients who are really successful, but some patients who are having more trouble making these changes. And I can't be with my patients 24 hours a day. I cannot be a little birdie on their shoulder saying, yes, do this. Don't do that. Oh, that's mm -hmm. a great decision. Oh, pair this with that food. You know, it'll be better for your blood sugar. You right. can't do that. Right. And I don't think anyone can do that. I, I know there's certainly coaching is becoming a, a big part of medicine now, which I think is wonderful, but fundamentally a human, um, there's two issues. One it's hard for a human brain to process all those inputs. How, how, how is a human really supposed to, you, first of all, you're not you're there with your patient 24 hours a day, but to, if someone's blood sugar is a little bit high one day, it's, it's hard for a human brain to say like, oh, well, that's 10% because they got less sleep last night, 20% because of what they ate, you know, 15% because they didn't work out for, they only worked out for 20 minutes yesterday. It's hard to parse out and weight the different drivers of the outcome. Mm -hmm. And this is where uh, digital tools can actually step in and be really, really, really helpful. So mm -hmm. one is that it's it's hard cognitively, and two is that humans are fundamentally unscalable. We have a massive chronic health disease, uh, health epidemic in our country. It is estimated that 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. This is from a UNC study that came out two years ago um, mm. that looked at lipids, blood sugar, and waist circumference and basically said, if people meet any of these criteria for what we call metabolically unhealthy, they, they you know get that label. And it was 88% of the people they studied. So wow. these are monumental rates. You know, 74% of Americans are overweight or obese. We have 128 million Americans who are diabetic or pre-diabetic. It's, it's just, it's astronomical mm -hmm. and coaches and humans don't scale. So I started thinking, how can we create digital tools I mean, our phones are with us all the time. Right. And so how can we use and leverage this technology to help with the sustainable personalized behavior change that will ultimately create conditions of the body that are functional and that generate health? And that is how I started moving a little bit from functional medicine into supporting health tech companies who were thinking about this and trying to create really smart, intelligent software to support patients in that journey. And that's that's how I, how I got started with levels. Um, and 
and really devoting a lot of time to to digital health. I love it. Well, let's let's talk about this levels, this company that you co-founded levels. It's being touted by some pretty big names in healthcare <laughs> and in the ketogenic research industry. Yeah. People like Dr. Dom Diagostino and Drew Manning, just to name a few. So talk to us about the company levels and, and how this is different and in general, just the, the benefits of continuous glucose monitoring. Yes, absolutely. So Levels is the metabolic fitness company. So we are laser focused on improving metabolic fitness and metabolic health at, at scale, um, knowing that metabolic dysfunction and insulin resistance and glucose irregularity is at the root of so many of the symptoms and the chronic conditions that we are seeing today. And really at its core, this is the first product that is available that closes the loop in real time on how, what your nutrition and dietary choices, how they're affecting your health. Mm -hmm. We have really never had something that has been able to say to you, oh, hey, Casey, that food was not good for you. That food caused a problem for you. Mm -hmm. um, and so ultimately this kind of answers the question, like what should I have for lunch? Um, so the way we do this is we take a piece of technology called a continuous glucose monitor, which is a wearable device. It's like the size of a quarter and you stick it on the back of your arm and it is tracking your glucose levels 24 hours a day, taking a reading every 15 minutes and sending that to your phone. Hmm. And so this is a internal uh, biomarker that is constantly going up and down the body and it's foundational to metabolic health and to overall health that we can actually track. And the reason this hasn't really become mainstream before is because this is a tool that's been traditionally used for the management of type one and two di di type one and type two diabetes mm -hmm. only. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're FDA approved and they have been for over a decade to help diabetic individuals have much more granularity into their blood sugar levels. But what we know is that these conditions of metabolic uh, dysfunction, like type two diabetes, these are conditions basically that have, you know, we, we don't really think about glucose until we get a diagnosis like that. But really the, the train has been going down that road sure. for likely yes. years, if not decades. Right. Wow. And most cases of type two diabetes and most cases of obesity to, you know, overt signs of metabolic dysfunction are preventable. And so how can we leverage this technology and use it as a biofeedback tool much, much earlier to let people just get their glucose levels flat and stable, learn how to rapidly personalize a diet so they know exactly how different foods are affecting their glucose and essentially allow people to know what foods are right for their body from a metabolic perspective and in doing so, you know, liberate them from ever having to walk into the doctor's office and, and get a surprise about their metabolic health. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to walk in one year and they say, oh, you're diabetic. You know, how neat would it be if everyone just really knew exactly where they stood on the spectrum of metabolic function or dysfunction and was constantly able to modulate and just really have ownership over that data and know how to craft a lifestyle um, and a set of dietary choices that, that kept things really, you know, in the green zone. Um, and in doing so just made their current daily life so much better, but also, you know, potentially prevent a lot of these chronic metabolic diseases. So yeah. that's what we're solving for. We're pairing continuous glucose monitors, making them mainstream for 
the um, health seeking population and pairing it with really intelligent software to help people make understand the data stream and make these um, personalized uh, decisions for their metabolic health. Yeah. And uh, it makes a lot of sense. You know, you're talking about not just using this in diabetic patients, but using it in just almost all of your patients, given the statistics that you just rattled out about how frequent metabolic dysfunction is. Um, So let's just get into it just a, a little bit more too. Like, how does a continuous glucose monitor change with respect to things like exercise or with respect to uh, maybe somebody's hormonal f- fluctuations or menstrual cycle, things like that? Like, what are some of the details that people need to be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, th- I think the core thing that people need to be aware of is that everyone is going to respond to food and lifestyle uh, choices differently in mm-hmm. terms of their glucose levels. So mm-hmm. something I like to say is that you know, a carbohydrate in the mouth is not glucose in the blood. It's, there is a lot that goes on between those two things that is highly, highly personal. So, you know, the three of us could all eat a banana and have vastly different glucose responses. And what that means is that for one of us, it's with the low glucose response, it's probably a fine choice for us. Our body can handle it. It can process it in a way that it's not causing a glucose spike. But for the person in the group who has a very, very high glucose spike to a banana, it's probably something they want to avoid because those glucose spikes are harmful to health. So I think that's the first thing to know is that this this concept of like a glycemic index that we've kind of been uh, told about for years, which is that saying like, okay, if everyone eats a piece of white bread, it's going to have this glucose response. That's probably not accurate. Mm -hmm. And it's been more recent research. It was out of the Weizmann Institute in Israel um, five years ago. There was a a paper that was published called um, Personalized Nutrition by Prediction of Glycemic Responses that did just that experiment I sort of described of everyone eating the same food and then seeing what the glucose responses were. And they saw that it was just all over the board. So we really need a more nuanced, personalized approach to keeping our glucose levels stable. And then the other factor you mentioned, you know, hormones and exercise, there are so many other factors that change what our glucose, uh, reading is going to be. And the really big ones are physical activity and exercise, um, our stress level and how we respond to stress. And then the quality and quantity of our sleep, those are some of the biggest behavioral factors and hormones certainly come into that as well for women. Um, we, we know that glucose fluctuates differently in first in the follicular versus the luteal phase. So those are also things to, to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, um, you know, a lot of people might fear hearing about a product like this, like, oh, it's just going to tell me that I can't eat all of my favorite foods, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, all, like this is going <laughs> to just tell me that I can't have a cookie and I can't have a banana and that sucks. I don't want that. But it's actually, I would say it's, it's so different than that. It's actually very liberating in the sense that it, it helps you build metabolic awareness and a metabolic toolbox of basically how you can utilize all these levers to create a context in the body that processes carbs really effectively. So you might be someone who is able to take a 20 to 30 minute walk after your meals and that totally blunts your glucose response. Mm-hmm. Or you might see that sleeping hmm. seven and a half hours versus six and a half hours of sleep lets your glucose levels be much more stable the next day or that doing 10 diaphragmatic deep breaths before a stressful phone call or before a meal might actually blunt your glucose response. All of those things have, have very real molecular underpinnings. Um, and so you, you can kind of build this context for what you're eating so that your body processes it 
better. Um, so I'll, I'll pause there, but, um, yeah. That's super interesting as well. Uh, You know, one other thing that I think about and, you know, the answer is probably going back to everyone's a a little bit different, but fasting is really, really common these days. And, Mm, and, you know, intermittent fasting is gaining more and more traction. Have you noticed anything either in the literature or in your experience, uh, how the CGM reacts to people who are in intermittent fasting? Yeah, absolutely. There is pretty amazing data showing that all types of fasting, um, can be really beneficial for metabolic health. Um, and it's, it's really across the board. It's from, you know, time restricted feeding where people are just eating in a more narrow window throughout the day. And then having a little bit more time at night where they're not eating to, to more extended fasts, like three and five day fasts. So on the, on the less extreme version, which is just like eat in a shorter window during the day, and then don't eat for, you know, a longer period during the day, there's really cool research there. So there was one study that took a bunch of people, um, and they had them eat between, um, all their calories between 8am and 2pm. And then they took a different group and they had them eat the exact same amount of calories, the same food between 8am and 8pm. So one was eating between 8am and 2pm and one was 8am to 8pm. So it was just spreading out the calories over a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that the group that ate between 8am and 2pm had lower 24 hour glucose levels, lower insulin levels, Um, they just were metabolically healthier. So compressing the same amount of calories into a shorter period of time seems to have metabolic benefit. So Mm -hmm. the idea of just calorie in calorie out, like there's, there's a lot more to it. And that really comes down to hormones and insulin. Um, and so, um, we know that when you, when you eat carbohydrates or when you get a glucose spike in the blood, the body releases this hormone insulin from the pancreas, which helps your cells actually take up the glucose for processing and use. Um, and when that insulin gets stimulated over and over and over again, you know, like in a person eating a, you know, maybe high refined carbohydrate, high refined sugar diet, the, the cells get, you know, a little bit numb to this insulin signal. And they're like, Oh my gosh, there's so much insulin around. We kind of need to like, you know, there's just too much. We're going to become numb to it. And that's called insulin resistance. And so the the pancreas has to produce more insulin just to get the same amount of glucose into the cells. And then you start getting all this insulin floating around and that can have a lot of problems with the body. Uh, the first being that it tells the body not to burn fat. It's essentially a signal to the body. There's tons of glucose around, so we don't need energy from other sources like fat. So it's a big break on fat burning and fat oxidation. So insulin blocks fat burning. And I think this is a big reason why we're seeing such an overweight and obesity crisis in our country, because we are a culture that is constantly spiking our glucose through the foods we eat. We're constantly spiking our insulin and we're not giving our bodies the chance to just like have a low insulin state where we Uh have to tap into our fat stores. It's Uh just like not happening. And so by fasting or by restricting food to a shorter period of time, you can imagine how many hours of the day you're able to let your body just take a break from producing that insulin and start, you know, working through your stored glucose and actually getting into some of that fat oxidation pathway later in the night. And as you go on, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 hours without eating. And what's nice about that is that as you start working those fat oxidation pathways, you get better at it and you become what's called metabolically flexible, where you can 
balance between glucose burning for energy and fat burning for energy based on what substrates are available. And it's not like your body's just used to burning glucose. Um, and so metabolically flexible is a place we want to be and fasting by reducing the amount of carb exposure, glucose exposure, and then insulin exposure allows you to kind of get, uh, get into, into that state. And in turn also increases insulin sensitivity, because if you're not spiking your insulin so much, your cells all of a sudden are like, Oh, there hasn't been much insulin around. We're going to become a little bit more receptive to it next Uh time it comes around and you build that insulin sensitivity. And all of that together is essentially you could package with the term more metabolically healthy. So, um, that's, that's kind of one of the reasons why even low grade, you know, time restricted feeding, you know, eating in a six to eight hour window throughout the day and fasting, you know, for 16 hours or so can be hugely beneficial to yeah. health. Yeah. And have you seen that it, there's a blunted glucose response with the CGMs in resp- uh, during that time, or maybe after a period of time of bid the behavior change incorporating fasting? Yeah. You know, over time, what I would expect to see from most people, um, is that, if you're doing this for, for like months in a row and really building that metabolic flexibility and that insulin sensitivity that over time, you're probably going to see your fasting glucose and your average glucose start to kind of come down. Um, as you become more insulin sensitive and more metabolically healthy by keeping these glucose and insulin spikes down by doing a fasting regimen, um, your body is, is naturally going to kind of be able to manage its glucose at baseline a little bit better. So, um, so that's one thing. And then, um, in terms of the actual glucose spikes, you know, that's a great question. I don't have a, I don't have a clear answer on that. You know, if you're intermittent fasting and you eat the exact same amount of carbs, um, let's say you, you know, after two months of fasting, you eat the same meal that you had in the beginning of the fasting experiment, would you have a lower spike? I'm not a hundred percent sure about the answer to that. Um, I, you know, I think the overall 24 hour glucose levels are certainly going to be lower, but mm-hmm. whether the actual spike is going to be hard, uh, lower is, is, is hard to know. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And- I, I would say, I think that the, the spike will be shorter in duration. So mm-hmm. this is, okay. this is an important sort of nuanced point, which is, um, you can imagine as you eat something and glucose gets released into your bloodstream, your curve is going to go up, you're going to get a spike and then it's going to come down. Yeah. And the time it takes to come down is a big function of your insulin sensitivity. So if you're very sensitive to insulin, your body's going to quickly soak up that glucose and it's going to look like a sharp, narrow peak. If you're not insulin sensitive, it's likely that that peak is going to be sustained because you're having more trouble soaking that glucose up into your cells. So you can Mm -hmm. imagine like a wide, more plateau mountain versus Mm -hmm. like a super tight stalagmite peak. And so that I imagine could be quite, quite different as you become more insulin sensitive, you're going to have that more narrow um, peak. And there's a term for this in the medical literature, which is called the area under the curve, AUC, right. mm-hmm. a smaller area under the curve. Cause it's an up and down pretty quick is better. And a big area under the curve. Cause you're going up and you're staying up and you're coming down slowly and staying elevated for longer is bad. Yeah. So getting that AUC tightened up is super important and that you're definitely going to see as you become more insulin sensitive. Um, so just, just, uh, 
kind of getting into yeah. the weeds yeah. there, but, no, but like, it's kind of interesting. It's great. Yeah, great. and it's good to know that terminology because I think we're, we're going to see it show up oh, more yeah. and more as uh, the, the biomarker to be looking at with CGM. So I, I appreciate I that. I agree with that. I agree with that. And even just this variability of these levels of glucose, you know, to watch it in real time and to, to have some empowerment around what you're doing metabolically is important because yeah. a lot of this gets missed in something like a hemoglobin A1C, which averages over whatever, you know, 90 days. So this is important information. And I also want to turn this a little bit to how you use continuous glucose monitoring as it relates to testing. And we know that you use a lot of Genova's tests. We're so thankful for that. And we love that. But how do you pair these things together? Yes, absolutely. So I, I think for for people who maybe aren't familiar with NutraVal listening to the podcast, um, I will give a, I guess, a brief overview and you guys will probably be able to give a better <laughs> overview, but um, it's a urine and blood test that really gives an incredible overview of um, nutritional needs and micronutrient needs. Um, and it is not something, so ultimately the readout is going to say um, you probably need, you know, more uh, antioxidants like a, you know, vitamins, A, C, and E and alpha lipoic acid coenzyme Q10, or you may need more or less B vitamins. And it's looking at B1, B2, B3, B6, B7, B9, B12. It's going to say you may need more or less on the minerals, um, tell you about essential fatty acids like omega threes and omega sixes, tell you, um, about your uh, amino acid protein levels. So it's this very, very comprehensive readout of nutritional status. But what's interesting about it is it's not actually looking at the levels of those things in the blood or the urine. Right. It's looking at different byproducts of metabolism and cellular processing in the body and knowing that for everything to happen in the body, basically um, things are being converted to other things all the time. And those conversions are happening through chemical reactions that are based on enzymes. And those enzymes require these micronutrients like the ones I just listed to function. So if A turns to B, because of enzyme uh, X, mm -hmm. you know, and enzyme X is using all these cofactors and A is really high, it means it's not converting to B well, then um, we can assume that maybe we're missing those cofactors for enzyme X and we need more of them so that A can be converted to B. So it's a functional test basically saying, you know, um, these enzymes are probably not working optimally and we probably need more micronutrient support to get these pathways working. And then looking at that for things all over the body and gives us really incredible readout. So, so that's, you know, sort of the way I look at the test. If You're you guys hired. want to chime in on You're anything hired. else, Dr. I Means, love it. We're going to hire you in medical affairs. <laughs> very good explanation. Perfect. <laughs> um, but but one of the things I love about this test in particular is that it looks super specifically at the citric acid cycle, which is a, a, a process that's happening inside the cell, inside the, um, you know, mitochondria, and basically um, how glucose is converted to cellular energy in our body. So glucose is this foundational unit of energy in the body. We get glucose in our bloodstream, but we actually need to convert it to something else to be able to use it as a currency that our cells can use to do the functions they need to do. Yeah. And so that process of converting glucose to energy we can actually use takes so many different enzymes and has so many different byproducts in it. And each of those enzymes require these micronutrients. Some of the ones I've mentioned before, like iron and B vitamins, manganese, magnesium. And so I use the test basically to really zero in on 
the micronutrient aspect of metabolic health. And this is one that I think is not talked about enough. We think a lot about food in relation to metabolic health. We think about, some people think about sleep, exercise, and stress. We certainly think about genetics and epigenetics. Um, We think about how medications and infections can affect metabolic health. We know that certain medications, you know, hurt metabolic health. And we know that infections can raise blood sugar. But very few people are talking about how micronutrients impact our overall metabolic health. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just, it's kind of the next frontier, but it's so nuanced and it's so personal that it's hard to talk about. It's hard to build health programs around it. It's hard to build digital products around it. But what I love about the NutriVal is that it really zeroes in on that aspect because someone could be eating a great diet, low carb, exercising, but if they're vastly deficient in magnesium or their B vitamins, it's just not going to work well. And so we've got to zero in on that. Um, So my dream one day (laughs) is to see a NutriVal that can be done iteratively, you know, every few weeks kind of to, to kind of be used more as a, as a dietary biofeedback tool. Um, so anyways, that's my plug for that. (laughs) But, um, something I think a lot about is, is how lab tests can be used for actual behavior change. Um, the thing I like about CGM is it's sort of this lab test that you're doing every 15 minutes. And so therefore it's closing the loop on your behaviors and the outcomes, and therefore it can become a behavior change tool. And, that, so that's sort of where I, I want to see things moving more with testing is how can we really see the direct actions of what we're doing and how it's affecting these things. But, um, but it's, been, it's been profound for many of my patients in terms of helping them select the right foods to maximize their micronutrients or metabolic health. So that's one I use quite a bit. That's awesome. Yeah. And it really makes the point too. We talk a lot on, you know, in our consults and on this podcast as well about the importance of these micronutrient cofactors. And as you mentioned, you're talking specifically about the mitochondria, which are your energy factories of your cell. And so if you are not, if those enzymes, if those pathways aren't operating very well, then it's very common for, you know, there to be some issues around ATP production and energy production overall. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like each of these things are necessary, but not sufficient for overall metabolic function. And so you have to be thinking about it, I think, holistically to get the maximal positive outcomes. And so um, for each patient, I'm thinking about, you know, the diet, the sleep, the stress, the exercise and the micronutrients. And um, and that's yeah, that's where NutriVal really shines. Awesome. Do you awesome. do you do any stool testing? Do you use any stool tests? I do. I was going to say I do do stool testing, which would have been an unintentional pun. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, I, I use the GI effects three-day stool testing, um, and that is also a Genova product. Um, and I, I, find that, I find that valuable um, mostly to give a landscape of whether people are sort of doing really well with metabolic health or, or not doing, I'm sorry, with, um, uh, their microbiome health or not doing super well, like how much we really need to focus on this. So for those listening, you know, microbiome is a, is an incredibly important factor of our metabolic health. And, um, one interesting factoid on that study that I mentioned out of Israel, out of the Weissman Institute, um, uh, personalized, personalized nutrition by prediction of glycemic responses. When they looked at all those individuals who are wearing CGMs and eating these standardized meals and people were having vastly different glucose responses to the same carbohydrate load, um, they actually found out 
what were some of the deterministic factors of how people would respond to food? And one of the key statistically significant factors was their microbiome composition. So, which is fascinating, you know, that they're basically eating our food first and determining like what, what we get, you know, Uh and there's been other research, um, showing that, you know, the bacteri- uh, bacteroides and uh, firmicutes ratio is very important um, in terms of whether people are likely to be metabolically healthy or obese or, or lean. Um, we want more bacteroides to firmicutes in that ratio. Um, we know that byproducts of microbiome um, activity, like short chain fatty acids, you know, they'll eat the fiber that we eat and then produce short chain fatty acids that these are you know, molecules that go into our bloodstream and have metabolic impacts. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and you can actually transfer microbiome from a metabolically unhealthy mouse to a normal mouse and turn that mouse metabolically unhealthy mm-hmm. just by transferring the microbiome. Yeah. And so it's just, there is a lot there. And so I do stool testing because it kind of gives me a big overview gestalt of whether this is an area that we really need to work on for maximizing metabolic outcomes. So I'm often looking at the um, short chain fatty acid levels and seeing if we're you know in the red on those. Um, I'm looking to see if there's significant dysbiosis, um, if the microbiome composition is sort of skewed in one direction or the other. I'm also just looking to see if there's gut inflammation um, and whether it seems like there may be um, you know leaky gut or some sort of overgrowth um, because you got to get those things cleaned up if you want things to be working properly. Sure. And mm-hmm. so it's been helpful. Um, I would say for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a ton, a ton of information on those tests for sure. And a ton of information that you have provided for us today. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. wanted to talk a little bit about your social media. You, you build a community around plant-based eating. Tell us about Dr. Casey's kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Dr. Casey's kitchen really arose out of my just totally nerdy, dorky love for the science of food and, and getting back to that concept of food as molecular information. I really wanted to reframe eating and food for people in a way that made it this really fun sort of biohacky empowering experience and thinking about how we have so much more agency over our health than we think. And we just kind of have to know the science and know the details and make it fun. And so I wanted it to be a mix of really innovative plant-based cooking um, that was all through the lens of what the science has to say. So I'll talk a little bit about, you know, um, like I did a post on a blue, I think it was like a blueberry pie that I made that of course was like sugar-free, grain-free, you know, really healthy quote unquote pie. (laughs) I saw it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, let's do a lesson on finistin, which is like a, a very specific antioxidant that is associated with the purple color of foods like blueberries. And Mm -hmm. let's go through some of the literature of what the molecular biology of finistin is and, you know, and what are the studies that show that it has an impact on health outcomes and kind of educate people on that. And The other fun thing I love to do is just show people how much you can do with plants. I would say the bulk of what I eat is, is fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, um, legumes and beans and spices. Mm -hmm. So I'm really not eating much. I would say I'm a molecularly focused plant-based person who's obsessed with metabolic health. So what Mm -hmm. that means is that I'm not just eating like 
I'm not just out there saying all plants are perfect to eat in any quantity. I don't believe that. Um, I believe that some plant-based diets can have really undue um, collateral damage if you're not thinking about glucose and metabolic health. And, you know, so even in a whole foods plant-based diet, so no refined sugar and no refined grains, you can still, I think, get yourself into trouble if you're eating kind of all starchy vegetables and fruits that super spike your glucose. And unfortunately, there's a lot of landmines in nutrition right now because the way that food has been raised and developed throughout time, sure. we are now seeing these, you know, giant giant pieces of fruit that are probably have, you know, three to four times more fructose than they did a hundred years ago. We're mm. also seeing foods that are less nutrient dense because of the way we've eroded a lot of our soil and utilized pesticides for decades. Um, and so foods aren't the same as they used to be. So we need a little bit more power to, and, and information to actually assess foods properly. And that's where I think things like continuous glucose monitoring and things like checking your levels with NutriVal can be really, really helpful so that you actually have some power to know whether, the plant-based diet you're eating is like, um, doing what you want it to be doing. And so, so it's very much a, an Instagram account that's focused on, um, a nuanced, uh, biochemistry based approach to plant-based eating, um, and making sure that there's not, you know, collateral damage associated with that eating pattern. And also how much opportunity there is to eat just beautiful, incredible meals that are so diverse and amazing with a pretty simple array of, uh, you know, uh, building blocks that you're working off of. Um, so one of my favorite things to do and that people like a lot is like how I use nuts and seeds in a variety of different ways. I can make, you know, certainly nut milks and out of nuts and seeds, I'll use really strange combinations of nuts and seeds. Like I'll make flax uh, pumpkin seed milk, which I'm doing that because pumpkin seeds have tons of magnesium and flax of course has omega three. And so if I want to make, if I really want to optimize my magnesium and my omega threes, I'll make a unique milk like that. Um, if I want to more optimize my selenium, um, or get some sesamoid compounds, I'll do sesame seeds and Brazil nuts to make my milk. Um, and I'll show that process and why I think about it that way. And then I make all sorts of like creamy salad dressings, mayo, like, you know, substances, mm -hmm. I'll do cheeses, all these things that can just be made by taking nuts and seeds and mixing them with other interesting things like, you know, lemon juice or lime or tamari or spices. And it's just, there's so much you can do with a Vitamix and herbs and, and nuts and seeds. Yeah, so, yeah. um, the sky's the limit. That's <laughs> well, awesome. We love it. So awesome. we follow you there and we're going to encourage everyone to follow you at Dr. Casey's kitchen or your website, caseymeansmd.com. But before we end this, we have one last yeah, question. I have one question and this is a question that's a little bit of a tangent, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's sometimes good to, to play this game, a little <laughs> bit, but it's, it's called the fireball and the fireball. the fireball question that I have is, do you have a favorite vegetable? And if so, which is your favorite child? No, I'm catching you off guard here. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. This is such a hard question. I know. <laughs> it's the fireball. <laughs> this is going to be the stumper question of the day. <laughs> favorite vegetable. Um, I would have to go with, hmm. I think I'd have to go with broccoli yeah. uh, and classic. the reason is obviously cruciferous vegetable, nutrigenomic powerhouse. <clears throat> it's one of the only vegetables that have been studied in clinical trials to reverse cancer progression. So really interesting to look up, um, 
prostate cancer and cruciferous vegetables, you'll see a lot of papers showing that late stage prostate cancer has been slowed down and moved in the right direction with a food intervention. There have not been a lot of studies actually showing that food-based interventions can um, halt or reverse cancer. So that's really interesting. Dean Ornish talks about this quite a bit in his book, Undo It. Um, It's also, I mean, you can do so much with broccoli, but one thing I love showing people is that you can make rice, you can make rice out of broccoli stems. So you just take broccoli stems and throw them in the food processor and pulse it a little bit. And you end up getting this totally rice-like um, hmm. consistency. And I throw, I'll throw some curry powder and some chopped apricots in there and make like a really nice sort of curried rice. And I've actually fooled people, um, <laughs> not knowing that it was broccoli. And so I feel very proud about that. Um, so it's just a, it's just a powerhouse from the health perspective and really versatile in terms of substituting grains. That's excellent. I love Probably it. Love it. And, and most people just throw away the stems. I know. Oh, now you know what to I do with the stems. I didn't even know I could do that. Right. It's great. <laughs> But Dr. Means, this has been a ridiculous amount of great information, and we can't thank you enough for coming on the show with us today. Yeah, it has been a a tremendous honor and pleasure, so thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and I really appreciate what you guys are doing um, at the podcast and at Genova, and um, yeah, I'm a big supporter. Awesome. Thank you. You have a great day. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. So after this interview. Yeah. I kind of want one of these continuous glucose monitors. I do too. And it sounds like levels is the place to get it. Yeah, for sure. All the cool kids are wearing them. For sure. And a few things, if you're out there listening and you're interested in getting a CGM yourself, Mm -hmm. um, you can get one through levels. And uh, we're actually providing a link in the show notes because there's currently a wait list, but the link in the show notes is going to allow you to bypass the the wait list. Special link for the lab report listeners. Yeah. So that's really cool. Um, You'll go through a little bit of a screening process in order to get it, get Mm -hmm. the prescription, and then you'll be able to have the CGM delivered to your house. So um, pretty exciting. Check out that link. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. The other thing, Hmm. broccoli seems to be running away with it. Yeah, right. Are we keeping a tally here? A lot of broccoli fans out there (laughs) from a vegetable standpoint. Well, understandable. It's a popular popular vegetable. Understandable. It's got a lot of research, too. You know, when when you're speaking to someone who's plant-based in their diet and they say broccoli, it gives a little bit more gravitas, I think. I agree. Yeah. It's sort of like they, they are familiar with all the ins and outs, all the nooks and crannies of the vegetable world. And uh, they pick broccoli. There it is. Time and time again. There really it seems to seems to be the case. <laughs> Next time on The Lab Report, I share my CGM results. That will be fascinating. No, I'm not going to do that. Oh. I'm never going never gonna to do that. That actually might be fun. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. You know what's really great? What? Water. It's really great. Uh, Okay. I'm just saying. I mean. Thanks for the endorsement. We don't talk about it hardly at all. Maybe we should do a whole episode on water because water is pretty important. Okay. It's like breathing. We don't, you know, we've actually probably talked more about breathing than we've talked about water. Hmm. It's an interesting point, but I'm a little bit worried about you. Hmm. You all right? No. Maybe you need some water. Perhaps.